What did the death of Jesus accomplish? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Brian DeBozik, and with me is Aaron Armstrong. Aaron, today we have a very safe, uh, not controversial at all doctrine to talk about, the aspects of the atonement. That's right. We are talking about the atonement and specifically the different aspects of it. So uh, let's do what we always do and um, very safely and confidently uh, <laughs> read our description of this together. And then I'm going to offer some some quick, uh, basically a little more breakdown on, on, on some of the language and why we've chosen to do what we did yeah. here. Yeah, so this episode, if you listen normally, this one's going to be a little bit different. This will be front-loaded in that our first two questions we normally ask, and we kind of move through them quickly and then spend more time in the last two, this is going to be reversed. We're going to spend most of our time in the first two and then speed up in the last two. That's right. That's right. So... Uh, so we, you know, once again, I think we think we got through our last episode without any caveats. This one is all caveats. <laughs> exactly. So. We have to make up. We're in caveat. Uh, uh, we're, in, we're in negative caveat land. Or That's right. That's right. So, uh, so when we're talking about the aspects of the atonement, this is what we mean. So Christ's substitutionary death on our behalf stands at the center of his atoning work. Without this work, there is no gospel. While this substitutionary aspect is central to the atonement, his death also supremely demonstrates God's love for sinners. It shows how God takes, how seriously God takes sin. It satisfies every requirement for God to be able to forgive the failures of humanity, and it puts God, Christ's cosmic victory over sin, Satan, and death on display through his resurrection. Every aspect of the atonement should inspire gratitude, praise, and a desire for obedience because it's only through Christ that we are reconciled. So, big idea here. In many church circles, there's a lot uh, there's a lot of talk about Jesus's death and specifically his death as a substitute. And that is a huge huge part of the atonement, but it's not the fullness. It's not the totality of it. So the aspects and theories of the atonement that um, sometimes you'll, you'll hear that, that phrase used, um, these, are, these, are, these are concepts that are derived from biblical themes such as ransom, redemption, propitiation, substitution, Christ's moral example, and his victory over opposing forces and powers. And we've discussed... Christ as our substitute and our sacrifice actually just just recently mm-hmm. um, on the podcast. So um, and those are closely connected with multiple um, themes that uh, that I've just mentioned. Um, so as we continue our discussion in this episode, we're not going to be uh, we're not going to be hitting on those too hard. We're going to be focusing on some of those other aspects, um, but. You'll notice I keep using this term aspects. Um, I did mention the word theories but uh, previously, but um, I really prefer aspects because what we don't want to do is, is we don't want to suggest any sort of either or this or that type of situation going on with what 
God was doing through the death and resurrection of Jesus. What we need to do is, is we need to see the, the themes around the atonement that we see in Scripture. We need to recognize that these are in Scripture. They're all there. And therefore, if they're all there, they're all working together to give us a greater sense of the scale and scope of Christ's work. Yeah. And so, so that's, guess, just, that's just where we have to start. Yeah, so basically, I think the, the prevailing idea of this episode, especially a lot of times, you know, most of these episodes, we're drilling down on a very specific doctrine. And so we have the luxury of saying, let's just focus on this, let's unpack it and, and deal with it. This, though, it's kind of the opposite. We're saying, hey, there's broadness to this. Um, and so we're going to be painting with a broader brush and hitting on some different aspects, as you're saying. Um, and so that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the vibe of this uh, episode that's going to be a little bit different. So that's why in this next session where we usually look at where do we find this in Scripture and we'll, we'll read a, a few verses and then move on, um, we're going to spend a little bit more time and we've clumped together passages around these different aspects that you just mentioned. And so I'll, I'll go first. The first one is 1 Corinthians 15.3, and it is one that affirms mostly Christ as substitute. So while we're not going to focus on this, we're not going to neglect it at all either. 1 Corinthians 15.3 reads, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So there you see Paul uh, in his uh, really a, a definition of gospel. He is saying what is really important here is that Christ died for our sins as a substitute is, is what he means there to fulfill Scripture. That's what the Old Testament was promising, pointing toward, and that's what he did. So substitute is one of the important aspects of atonement, but then let's move on and look at another one. Yeah, um, one of these really is um, Christ as our example. And so in our definition, um, we use the language of the, the demonstration of God's love for sinners. When we talk about Christ as our example, that's what we're talking about. Um, and so we see we see this play out in several different passages, such as John 15, 13, which says, no one has greater love than this uh, to lay down his life for his friends. And 1 John 4, 10, that love consists not in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice or propitiation for our sins. Um, and then Philippians uh, 2, 5 through 8 is another beautiful illustration of this, where we see Jesus directly taking, taking this action for himself, where Paul says, Adopt the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a, student, a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this humble servant nature of Jesus is this beautiful picture of God's love for us and Christ as an example to us. And I think this is a good one to pause and see how this one, especially as Christ as an example, if you were to argue that that is the only aspect of the atonement, you can see how it would be insufficient. Mm -hmm. um, but when you understand it as part of a fuller, more, more robust doctrine of atonement, you can see how it's important. 
So it, it kind of speaks to your caveat at the beginning of as we look at these, don't think that we have to pick and choose which one we believe defines the atonement or even necessarily which is, is you know more important than others. Just kind of see how these all add layers to understanding atonement. I think that's a good one to, to kind of focus on for that. Yeah. Another aspect is ransom. We, we see this in two passages uh, clearly, uh, at least, Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Of course, that's the words of Jesus himself. And in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. So we see here, again, whenever we are looking at doctrines, we start with what is clear, and then we go out from there. What is clear is that the scriptures, Jesus' words himself, uh, the scriptures no less important, even if Jesus hadn't said this, but it de- describes the atonement in part as a ransom. Mm-hmm. That much is clear. The question on this one becomes, who is the ransom paid to? And there are a couple of different schools of thought on that. One is it was paid to Satan. Uh, another is to God the Father himself. And so um, while that is something we won't necessarily drill down into, it, it's beyond the scope of, of our desire to talk about the fullness of the atonement in this, in this conversation. Just know about that. There, there's another uh, layer to this ransom aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then the next one that we're going to, we're going to reference, and this is really the last one that we'll, that we'll touch on for, um, in this episode, at least is, is Christ's cosmic victory. Um, so in, so theologians will often use the term Christus victor and, and the ransom theory in this, they, they tend to be closely connected. Um, as well, but um, a couple of a couple of passages that that talk about this one, or that are that really fit very nicely at home with this one and inform it, are Colossians two fifteen, saying Jesus disarmed the rulers and authority and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed. Um, he he God triumphed over them in him, Jesus. Um, then. Ephesians six ten through 17, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against ru- the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and ha- and having prepared everything, take your stand. Stand therefore with truth around, uh, like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness uh, for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So this one is really important because it, although it's very um, uh, very much directed at the hearer as an application statement, remember that it's saying that the armor of God is the, is, is the thing. And so it's that that gives victory um, and allows you to withstand. Um, Revelation 11, uh, 12, 11 through 14 says this, 
They, uh, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not love their lives to, um, to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and, and you who, do, who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. Um, so again, pointing to Christ's victory, the blood of the lamb, that the devil is raging in the world because he knows he is defeated. And then finally, 1 John 5, 4 and 5, which says, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so when we read that, we have to make sure that we're, we're keeping it in check. Because, um, again, it's very much directed at us, and so was Revelation as well. But why? Because Jesus, we, we are victors. We are conquerors, if you will. Um, in that spiritual sense, because Jesus. Yeah, and because he has. You you often exactly. hear people say, you know, no, the victory's already been won. Yes, it has. And that's mm-hmm. one of the important points of this. We don't live waiting for victory. We live in victory, waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of the victory that has already been won. Yes. And, and that's, you know, that is really meaningful and helpful as we live each day, as we face adversity and what seems to be setbacks for the kingdom, for us to remember, you no, know, Christ won the victory already on the cross and, and through the empty tomb. So again, we're getting ahead of ourselves to the practical difference, but you know that's why this one's so important. So let, let's talk about any cautions with understanding this doctrine. And again, I think we're going to stay a little bit more broad on these, uh, just because of the nature of this this episode, this content. The first one is this: that um, we we can't dismiss the importance of the atonement. This is a first-tier doctrine. And while we can disagree, we can still be united in Christ. But it's it's worth it for us to work at developing a complete understanding as much as we can. You know, sometimes we have to be honest. Um, I experienced this in some of my PhD seminars, Aaron, where some of my uh, PhD student peers will start nerding out on some um, doctrinal points, and I'm like, does it really matter? <laughs> I mean, it matters to them. It's important to them. Uh, yeah, everything is, is important, but it's, it, it's hard for me to see how will that make a difference in my life. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes theology can be like that. It can feel like we're drilling down deeply into issues that really won't impact life at all. This is not well, one of those. Well, especially when you're doing PhD studies. Yeah, so. especially that. This this is not one of those. That's why I'm a PhD in ministry and not a PhD in theology. I want to be practical. <laughs> um, and and you know my smartness runs out. Um, th- this is this is an issue where it does deserve us to drill down deeply because it is so significant and these issues do matter. When you think about ransom, when you think about uh, victory, when you think about substitution and so forth, all of these matter. So I would encourage you, this is, yeah, spend the time, dive into this, um, but do it with, with, with humility, do it with grace. Right. Um, another, another thing that we need to recognize is, um, and this is another hot topic, <laughs> I love hot topics. I don't love hot pockets, but I do love hot topics. Isn't that a um, store? Isn't that a store in the mall? Hot topics or something like that? Or I don't know. Maybe. 
Well, they know. are now our official sponsor of this episode. If they absolutely, are. them or hot pockets. Um, hot anyway, pockets. <laughs> oh my goodness, they should be called scorching pockets. Yes, because anyway. they go from they go from like frozen to like lava. There's no in, in between. Three point five seconds. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Well, so do discussions on the on the extent of the atonement. Yes, funnily, they do. Funnily enough, so um, so this is so there's a question that comes with the atonement, which is, um. For whom did Jesus die? And so there, so it's a very emotional question. Yes, it is a very, um, uh, it is very dangerous ground to walk on on uh, you know in a in a podcast. Which um, is why I'm letting you walk out into the field by yourself. And I'm well, while you're back here by the in security well, and safety over here. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm cheering you on. Go, Aaron. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there are two uh there are two basic questions uh that, that come in, in that or two basic ideas. So um did Jesus die for all people everywhere at all times? Um, which then becomes effect in uh, effective when a person trusts in Christ. So not you. So there, there's three prevent. There's actually three prevailing views. There's there's two that are orthodox and one yes. that is not. Um, the unorthodox one is universalism. Yeah. Universalism would say take that statement that I just made and ignore the caveat of becoming yeah. effective when a person trusts in Christ. It's he did it for everybody. And so the goal then in missions is to, uh, in sharing the gospel, is to let people know what Christ has already done for yes. them. Um, and so it robs the gospel of its power as a result. Um, so we set that one aside. That would, So we're setting yeah. that one aside and we're saying, nope, nope, nope. Um, there are two other views that are held by Orthodox Christians. And so both are... Support both can be supported biblically. Mm-hmm. Wrestle with them as you wish. Pick a view, change your view as you are <laughs> as you are convicted by yes. Scripture, and extend grace to everybody. So the two big i the two orthodox general orthodox positions are that Jesus died for for Jesus's death is for all people. And is effective when a person trusts in Christ. The other is that Jesus died specifically for those across space and time who would trust in him. And so there's so and it's it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. And and as you said, Aaron, both you you can argue from Scripture that the ones who would say that Jesus died for everybody, they would, I mean, all. How many times you see that he died for all and so forth? He died for the world. And, but again, they would not be in the universalism camp. They would say, but it's while the salvation's potential for all, it becomes effective when somebody trusts in, in, in Jesus. The other camp, those would say, no, Jesus' death meant something on the cross. He accomplished something. It was effective for all who he died for, and not all are saved, so he only died for those who would be saved. Um, and you can even splinter that off. You can even say, well, it's because he chose who would be saved, or he knew who would become saved in divine mm-hmm. foreknowledge. So there are sub subgroups, if you will, can form out of this. Yes. I 
I, I want everybody to hear us carefully. We believe that you can support both from Scripture without abusing Scripture. Mm-hmm. We believe you can hold any of the, either of these, not the universalism, of course, um, and and be true to the gospel, love Jesus, love God, hold to inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. You can hold to either of these and be zealous for evangelism. So this is an issue that um, we're beating around the bush. We've kind of hinted at it, but this is an explosive issue that has divided the body of Christ, and it ought not be. Mm-hmm. There's no need for it. No, and it's a landmine we get to talk about again when we come around to a word, a little word we like to call election. Yes. <laughs> so I, I so. just, I would encourage us again, as you said, Aaron, you're right. Pick a view, wrestle with it, and be willing to change. That's the other mm-hmm. thing. Sometimes somebody will get dogmatic and they say, "Well, I made this choice. I'm going to stay with it." The sign of of spiritual maturity and growth is your ability to look back and say. No, as I've learned and grown, um, my some of my doctrines, not the core ones, of course, but some of the other doctrines have changed. I look back at my life, and my eschatology has changed, for example. And I was passionate and strong before in one area for one camp, and now I have sympathies toward that camp, but I think I find myself being drawn to another one. Mm-hmm. And so it just requires humility to recognize you know, I may have been teaching things before that I didn't don't agree with now. But in the moment, I was teaching from conviction and supporting from Scripture. Do I think I did harm? No. Um, and it may change again. This is the nature of us as we mature and grow in our faith. So hold to these, hold to the core issues with, with unwavering, a firm grasp. Hold to the other secondary, tertiary doctrines more loosely being... being gracious with one another and willing to to let go if God leads you there. Right. And that is a difficult thing for people to rest, to to really grab grab onto the fact that the atonement itself is a first tier, a primary issue, um an essential do- a truly essential doctrine. But its extent is not. Yes. And 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 that is and that's something that we have to wrestle with too. It's not to say it's not important. Time. It's important. No, no. It, no. This is the thing: is, yeah. is whenever whenever we say something is or is not essential, that does not imply a exactly. lack of importance. Exactly. Um, things can be important but not essential. Um, things can be essential but not important. Um, in some, um, at least in a in a work context. Uh, so probably not in a doctrinal context yeah. though. So. Uh, so let's move on to uh, to our big question, <laughs> which true. is what difference should this doctrine make? All right, I'll, I'll start with the first two together uh, because they were actually what was mentioned at the tail end of the doctrine that you read, Aaron. And the first one is that this doctrine should elicit gratitude and worship in us. as as Again, as we stated above in the doctrine, as we think about the atonement, as we think about, you know, just take the substitutionary aspect of it, that alone should prompt gratitude worship. Hand in hand with that, it should prompt obedience. Um, and and not for the benefits of atonement, not to achieve the benefits of atonement, but because we have received the benefits of atonement through faith in Christ by, by grace. And 
you know, it should prompt us as Christ was obedient to the Father to the point of laying down his life. Is there anything he might ask of us that we would have a right to say no to? Um, an argument from the greater to the lesser. If the greatest of all Christ gave up the greatest act of, of sacrifice in obedience in human history, how could we, who are lesser than him, say no to doing lesser acts of obedience? And again, the battle is in our hearts to joyfully do this, to desire to do this, not grudgingly, but joyfully, because Hebrews talks about Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross. So the atonement was done, not meaning Jesus had a smile on his face the whole time, but joy because he knew he was bringing glory to the Father. He knew what he was accomplishing through his work on the cross. We should have similar joy as we seek to obey. Yeah. The other thing that this should do is is it should create in us a, a hunger to understand more. Um, we have barely scratched the surface on on any of this stuff. There is we could talk for another 40 minutes and still have barely gotten into anything like into Don't worry, the we depth won't. We we could. won't. If you're listening no, no, right no, now, this no, we won't. will not be 40 minutes longer. <laughs> but um but the reason I say that is is because we it's really easy to wade in the shallow ends of gospel and doctrinal waters um, in perpetuity for like to just live there and stay there. It's a very safe, it's a very safe place to be. Um, And it can be very comfortable. Um, But discipleship compels us to, to start swimming into deeper waters, not abandoning the gospel. Um, One of the ways that we we've described uh, we've, um, we and some other people have described the gospel is, is think about it like a swimming pool. Um, it's, it, it is, it is the water and it is the pool. It is everything, <laughs> um, that, that is there. So, um, so when you jump into the waters there, you get to go to the deep end of the gospel. And so don't stop there. And a love, if we love God, we want to know him more. And we want to, that means that we want to know more about what he has done. And so, uh, so we would just really encourage, um, wrestle again, wrestle with this, explore it, look for good resources, um, and, you know, and celebrate what God has done. Yeah. And that last one, let me just piggyback on that and then we'll, we'll call this an episode. Uh, look for good resources and also look for diverse good resources. Challenge yourself. Um, sometimes we, you know, using the waters analogy you just mentioned, sometimes we, we like to swim in the same waters all the time. And I think it's good for us to swim in different waters at times. So if you find yourself kind of leaning toward one understanding of one of these aspects of the atonement, I would encourage you, get some uh, resources from people in the other camper camps. Read them. Uh, one, it might help to firm up your doctrine that you are holding. It, you know, seeing the other thoughts may just make you know, I'm, I think I've chosen correctly. But the other thing, it, it should give you grace. It should prompt you to recognize, no, they make some good arguments at times. You may not agree with them, mm-hmm. but hopefully you can see why they make them. And you can see that they're trying the best they can to hold fast to scripture as well as you are. And so again, it it increases charity, charity amongst believers when we read diversely. 
So let's wrap it up there before we get into any further trouble <laughs> with this episode. Uh, I do want to thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 